Today, we are going to be thinking a little bit about imagination. And so I'd love for you to just have um, in your head, as we're thinking today, a few questions that I'm going to ask you. Um, so the first of these questions is, what is your relationship like with your imagination? Do you ever think about it? Do you think it matters? And do you think that your imagination has any connection to your faith? So I'd love you to have a little think about those um, questions as we go through today. And um, because as um, I was preparing today, um, little disclaimer, I did actually do this talk at 12 p.m. last week. Um, Stacey, I know you heard it last week. <laughs> um, so um, I was going to say as I was preparing over the last week, it was the last two weeks, the last, the last two weeks I'm preparing for this. Um, but what I really sensed was that the Lord would love to like strike a spark, like create a spark and in our imaginations and actually like liberate our minds to be like dreamers in terms of the kingdom. And um, so that's my big prayer today. So I'm going to pray um, and then we're going to get going. So um, yeah, let's do it. So Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are here in this place. And so we ask Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us um, over the, the next um, half an hour or so, we ask and offer our minds to you again. We ask that you would spark creativity, that you would awaken our imaginations, that you would realign us with you, that we would be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So um, we are actually going to start our time together with a little bit of an activity. Um, so um, there should be a little, a little photograph which is going to pop up on the slide, um, which is a photo of some of our staff team from the Volunteers Barbecue two years ago. And um, what I'm going to ask you to do is basically, we're just going to look at this photograph for like 10 seconds. And, and I just want you to kind of take it in. And, and then after that period of time, it's going to go off, the screen's going to go off. Um, and then what I want you to do is just try and record as much as you can from this photograph. Um, and then we, we'll see if we can, how much we can remember. So we're just going to look at it, take it all in for a few moments. Might spot Calf Carter in there. Um, and then if we can have it off. And so I just want you sort of in your mind and um, just to recall um, some of the things that stuck out to you in that picture. Um, yeah, just for a few moments. And then audience participation, not audience, congregation participation. Uh, and anyone want to shout out anything that they noticed in their picture, in the picture? Green umbrellas, very good. Say again, palm tree. Yes, there were some inflatable palm trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The garlands, yeah. Anything else? Anything from this side of the room? Bananas. Did someone say Krispy Kremes? Krispy Kremes. Wow. Abby. Eagle eyes. That's amazing. Very good. Very good. And so what we, what we were doing, what we are doing in this exercise is essentially tapping into our imagination, or I should say part of the function of our imagination. And because our imagination is this incredible thing that actually and has a wide ranging scope in terms of what it does. And so there's no kind of easy pithy definition of what our imagination is. And a guy called Leslie Stevenson um, has come up with a list of 12 concepts of imagination. And you can see them on the next slide um, um, and see that it ranges all the way from number six, which is the ability to think about anything at all, all the way to number 12, the ability to create works of art that express something deep about the meaning of life. So when, what we're dealing with when we're thinking about our imagination is something that is wide ranging and absolutely incredible. 
And most importantly, God-given. It's this God-given ability to think, to create, to connect, to dream, to see things that aren't actually physically in front of us. But the caveat is when I'm talking about this, what I'm not talking about is the imaginary, which has no real connection to truth, but the imagination that actually has the ability to lead us deeper into truth. And so maybe you're listening to this and you're kind of thinking, what is this girl going on about? What is, what is the connection between imagination and the church? And what does this have to do with faith? Why are we talking about this here? I would love to suggest to you that actually our imagination has a whole lot to do with our faith because it is something that is a God-given capacity. And actually, my humble observation is that as Christians, we can fall into the temptation of actually disconnecting ourselves from our imagination and actually disconnecting our imagination from our faith. And we do that to our own detriment, but also to the detriment of the world. And there can be multiple reasons why we might fall into patterns where we kind of disconnect ourselves from our imaginations. And but I just want to offer a couple to you. The first is historical, in that whether we like it or not, we're all kind of a product of our histories. And collectively, and there was a time period in our history known as the Enlightenment. And very simply, like a very simplistic um, summary of the Enlightenment was this elevation of rational thought and reason. And what that meant for imagination was that rational thought and imagination got divided. So in our cultural way of thinking, it's, it feels like imagination is something that you might associate more with the thinking of a child than that of a grown rational adult. And secondly, the second reason that I wanted to throw out there was probably the fact that within Christian culture, we can sometimes get into habits of actually dividing things between the sacred and the secular things that belong to God, things that God is interested in and things that we deem God isn't interested in. You could describe it as the holy or the unholy. And I wonder whether imagination could quite easily fall into the category of what we label as secular. What has that got to do with our faith? Isn't it something that even could be potentially dangerous that could actually lead us away from God? And I just want to linger on that point a little bit longer because and I know that for me, that's something that I can massively fall into habits of doing. So I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. Ask me about that later if you want some stories. Um, but it, those things are things that I'm incredibly grateful for. But what I think can happen in those kind of environments is you can quickly identify things that are good, things that are bad, things that are sacred, things that are secular. And it can be easy for you to fall into patterns where you essentially start dividing yourself. And um, for me, I, as some of you will know, I got ordained a few weeks ago. And um, yes, I did. And, and along that journey, one of the things, one of the many things that um, I feel like the Lord and I were sort of wrestling over is as I was going on this journey of thinking about what it meant for me to offer myself to God more wholeheartedly, was this whole labeling of the things I thought God was interested in, the things that I wanted to essentially offer to him in terms of ministry. And then the things that I'd labeled as either irrelevant, annoying, confusing, or acceptable. And so as I went on this journey, what I, what I felt was that Jesus was very gently teaching me is when it comes to the things that make us us, when it comes to the things that make us human, actually everything is up for being made new. And what that means is that there's nothing about us that actually needs to be discarded. 
And everything can be healed in the hands of Jesus because that is what Jesus is like. So what Jesus says over every single person in this room and over every part of your life is that I want it. I want all of you because I can make it all new. And that is the essential promise of the gospel. The essential promise of the good news is that Jesus makes all things new. So we find that written in Revelation 21 verse 5. It says, Jesus makes this incredible statement, see, I am making everything new. And we often talk about that at KXC and the vision of our church, maybe you didn't know, is serving God's purposes to make all things new. And so when we talk about all things, we really do mean all things. And that includes each and every one of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus is interested in all of it and he can and wants to heal all of it and renew all of it for the sake of his purposes. And at Christmas, and um, maybe it feels too early to start talking about Christmas, um, but we celebrate this moment when Jesus comes to earth, God incarnate, that's what we read about. In John 1 verse 14, it says, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's this incredible part of the salvation story of Jesus being born. But the message of this moment is that Jesus has come near to humanity and has begun this journey of making all of us new. And in doing that, Jesus became fully human. So fully God, but fully human, which means he took on the fullness of humanity, which means that he took on every single facet of what it means to be human. And because he took all of them on, he lived this perfect life. He died and rose again. He wants to and is able to bring healing and to restore all things including every single part of us that makes us human. God has godly purpose for every single part of us because of what Jesus has done. So that is incredible news for every single one of us because we don't have to go about our lives living these fractured, disconnected lives, thinking that there are parts of us that are good and parts of us that are bad because Jesus has the ability to redeem all of it. God really does want every single part of you. And we don't actually have to think as with our imagination that parts of us are maybe dangerous or scary or have the potential to lead us into the wrong direction. If we offer them to the hands of Jesus, we invite his will and his way, ask him to heal them and repurpose them. So we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 in the Bible that Jesus says, if anyone is, in, if anyone is a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. So that means in regard to our imagination, we actually don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it might be that you've felt like you've had to disconnect yourself from your imagination. This ability to think, dream, to think creatively, to connect things and actually imagine new possibility. Because for you, it has been something that's led you um, down paths that you felt are like maybe secular or ungodly. Because we know, we know we live in a broken world. We know that things are not all as they sh should be and that our world can be something that shapes our imagination more than Jesus. And maybe that's been your experience. But the good news is the call of Jesus is not to throw your imagination away because he can heal it. We don't need to squash our imaginations. If God has put it in us, then he has purpose for it. And when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of um, my uh, A-level history class where we studied the Cold War. And we learned about this strategy 
um, in America um, to, to deal with the threat of communism. And um, what happened under um, President uh, Truman was that they had this policy of containment, which essentially meant that they would try to prevent communism from spreading by um, containing it to the countries that already had it. So they were trying to prevent it spreading to countries that weren't under communist regimes. But under President Eisenhower, they decided that they wanted to do something different. They actually wanted to roll back communism. They essentially wanted to reclaim territories that were under communist regimes back under capitalism. And I am not making any political claims um, in that example, but I do think there is something about the action of Jesus in these two different things that so often we think we have to live lives of containment. But Jesus wants to be able to roll back the, um, to roll back the things and reclaim the things that are within us and roll back anything, anything that we place into his hands for the sake of his purposes. And the church collectively, but also us as individuals need to recover the power of our imagination, placing it into God's hands. Because the baptized imagination, as C.S. Lewis calls it, has the ability to lead us into greater truth, but also to be a tool for God's renewing purposes in the world. And we see that really clearly in the life of Jesus, who is our guide and our example on all things regarding humanity. Because Jesus made incredible use of his imagination. We see him using his imagination to capture the imaginations of those around him, to show them what God is like and show them what the kingdom of God is like. So let me give you an example. So we, we know that the, Jesus talked a lot in the Gospels about the kingdom of heaven. And so um, in Matthew chapter 13, we read Jesus saying this phrase six times, the kingdom of heaven is like. Is like. He talks about it being like a, a seed, a mustard seed, yeast that works through dough, treasure, a merchant looking for fine pearls and a neck thrown into a lake. And so what Jesus is giving his listeners is a, a roadmap in order to grab hold of truth that would be tricky without their imagination. So I hear the kingdom of heaven, I've got nothing, nothing to grab onto in, in terms of what that is. But I do know what yeast is. And I do know about the process of yeast working through dough, something that happens slowly, but the end is transformed. So suddenly I'm a fraction closer to understanding a dimension of the kingdom of God through this image. But Jesus also does this with what God is like. He paints these glorious pictures of our father in heaven. So another example is Luke 15, where we read these stories of these lost things. If you've never read it before, I'd really encourage you to read it. But in this, in this chapter, we read about a shepherd who loses a sheep. And again, I've never seen God. I can picture the brokenheartedness of a shepherd who loses a sheep, the determination to go out and to rescue. And I can hear the sound of a God who loves to celebrate when he brings a sheep home. And again, this story culminates in um, the very famous story of the lost son. And again, Jesus paints this incredible picture to get hold of our imagination. So again, I've never seen God before, but I can picture the love of a father who runs to the son who's been away for a long time, who covers his shame, who is determined to protect him, who runs in a culture when there's not the done thing. And again, who parties hard when his son returns. There's one thing we get from this chapter is we serve a God who loves to party. And Jesus does that through a story. And it's Jesus's own imagination that he's tapping into in order to connect with our imaginations and his listeners' 
imagination in order for them to fill in the gaps in terms of their faith. And that is one reason why we need our imagination. It's for us to fill in these gaps. And that happens in terms of our faith. So, and when I come up here, I never want to lie to anyone. And, and the truth is, the truth is, <laughs> the truth is this journey of faith is not easy. If you're on it, you know that to be the case. Jesus isn't lying when he says it's a narrow path that we are on. We serve a God we can't see. We're told we have, we're not have to, but we're told to look forward to a heavenly home. That is, is something that we can't see. It's a concept that we find hard to understand. But God in his infinite wisdom has given us this gift of imagination so that we can grab hold of these things that we wouldn't be able to without it. But also our world needs our imaginations to be firing on all cylinders. And that is because the, our world around us is full of gaps of hope. And our imagination is what gives us the ability to give hope to our world. And connected to that, it gives us tools to pray with hope, to praise the things in Jesus' name and to see change happen. So allowing Jesus to grab a hold of our imagination has the ability to transform our prayer lives. So again, just an example of that. So um, Jesus calls his followers to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, and if you've not heard it before, there's a line in it that says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so essentially what Jesus is calling his followers to do is to imagine this invisible kingdom and ask it to come. So when we pray, we actually get the opportunity to imagine the specifics in our context around us and think about actually what would it look like if God's kingdom truly came in the situations around us. That is the prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done. What would it look like if God's kingdom broke out in the brokenness of your own life? What would it look like if God's kingdom came in the brokenness of your family? What would it actually look like to imagine if God's kingdom came into a situation that feels hopeless, where reconciliation it seems impossible? What would it actually look like if that happened and to pray for that accordingly. And as a local church, we're called to a locality, we're called to King's Cross. And so we get the privilege of imagining what it would look like for God's kingdom to come in King's Cross. And um, just on story on the slides, we've got a little, a little, a little graphic of the, uh, the Mapamundi, King's Cross covered in gold. It's the last one, Maria. Um, and, and the eagle-eyed amongst you will know when you walk into King's house, there's actually a piece of art um, which is um, like a, a grander version of this. And essentially what it is, is King's cross covered in gold. And it's this visual representation of Revelation 21 verse 21, which talks about the great city being covered in gold. So when we pray for King's cross, I'd encourage you to almost picture this, like what would it look like for God's kingdom to come in this area and to pray accordingly? And imagining God's kingdom can actually um, be outworked in really simple ways. I was talking to one of my friends recently and she told me that when she was a teacher, she felt prompted to pray over two chairs of two particularly kind of difficult kids in her class. And essentially go on this um, journey of imagination of like, what would, it, what would it look like if God's kingdom broke in in their lives? And she decided that she was gonna pray consistently for them. What would it look like actually if their behavior changed and transformation happened in their lives? And the incredible thing is, as she prayed over that year, their behavior did change. But more than that, their whole families came to faith. 
Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I love that I wrote Hexagram from you guys. I love that. But it's true. It's like, it's this act of imagination leading them to prayer and actually seeing transformation happen. And so, but also if we offer our imaginations to Jesus, it enables us to be those that can actually bring creative action into the world, to actually face the problems in the world that we see with the creativity of heaven in the world around us, to actually be a voice that is prophetic and to bring hope in our world. Another example of that in our own community um, is could be the refugee football. You may have heard that that goes on here but really simply like thinking about the problem of people traveling across the world, being caught in being refugees away from their families, away from their homes. What does it look like to connect with them? And someone had the, the bright and beautiful idea of doing that through the international language of football. And then it's, it's this beautiful community that happens, something of the kingdom breaks in and something extraordinary happens. But this process of offering our imaginations to Jesus isn't something that will necessarily happen in a moment. It can take time. And I believe that the Lord is able to like, um, yeah, do something incredibly creative and spark something new within us. But we'd just love to offer something to you. If you go away from this place and you're like, yes, I want to see God really grab a hold of my imagination. If you almost want to partner with that and um, just love to offer um, this little activity to you that actually we're going to do collectively together if you're up to that. Um, and it's basically this act of um, what's called guided imaginary prayer. And um, so when I did this at the 12 p.m. last week, Ellie McLoon was here with me and did it. And um, so I'm going to be doing it myself today. Um, but basically what we're going to do is I'm going to read a passage of scripture. Um, and then I'm essentially just going to ask you to sort of engage with it um, as much as you can in your imagination. So there's going to be some space for silence. Um, and, but we're basically just going to see what happens. So I'd invite you just to shut your eyes. And get yourself comfortable. And I'm going to read the story of um, blind Bartimaeus and his encounter with Jesus. So you might want to um, just take a few deep breaths in and out. And as you inhale and exhale, just try to focus your mind on Jesus. And it's not a problem if your mind drifts, that happens to all of us. But if that happens, I just invite you maybe to just say the name of Jesus to yourself. So I'm going to pray and then just lead us in this, um, in this time. So Lord, I thank you um, that you have made every single part of us um, and you long to have your way in our imaginations. And so... We pray that you would just be welcome in our minds right now. We welcome you and we just ask you to speak to us. And as I read this passage and the story kind of unfolds in your mind, there might be a particular word or phrase that sticks out to you. And I just encourage you to pay attention to that um, because the Lord might be wanting to speak to you through that. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So imagine that you are Bartimaeus. Picture yourself in the crowd. Notice where you are in the scene. And suddenly you hear a commotion and you hear that Jesus of Nazareth is here. He approaches you and you call out to him, Jesus. How does your voice sound? How does it make you feel? He makes his way directly up to you and says your name. How does that feel? And then he asks that question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you say? Just take some time to see what comes to your mind. So I'm just going to leave um, a few minutes gap um, just for you to spend some time talking to God about what it is that you want. And I'd encourage you almost to um, take the limits off on your imagination on this. Imagine that Jesus is asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? So what are you going to say to him? Mm-hmm.